Hey everybody, it's Scott. Fair warning, this is a spoiler-filled bonus episode. So if you've not watched all of Babylon 5 for all five seasons, you may want to step away and wait to listen to this one. For everyone else, enjoy. Maybe the universe blinked. Maybe God changed his mind. All I know is that we got a second chance. All my life, I've had doubts about who I am, where I belong. Now... I'm like the arrow that springs from the bow. No hesitation, no doubts. The path is clear. Life has changed. It's a good thing. To the future, my old friend. Hello, everyone there in podcast land. Welcome to a bonus episode of Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. I am here with the first ones, myself, Kevin, Blake, and Mike. And we're here to talk about something that has been... A conversation topic that we've had beyond the rim in our shows quite a bit, and it's been a conversation topic on the uh, for many Babylon Five fans for nearly thirty years, and that is what would have happened if Michael O'Hare had stayed through the entire show, and what would have happened if JMS had followed his original plan for Babylon Five that he first wrote out as a spec memo to those who he was shopping the show to. And I first heard about the scenario that we're gonna discuss today, actually from the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, which was a podcast several years ago, and they mentioned Babylon Prime. And they went into a little bit of detail, but not too much. And when you Google Babylon Prime, you don't find much. There is one blog post from, I think, like 15 years ago where a person went through and kind of laid out everything. But unless you purchased um, some script books from JMS, you really probably don't know what the original plan was because it's been kept not under wraps, but it just hasn't been out there in the open. So we decided that we were going to discuss the original 10-year plan for Babylon 5. So I'm the only one who has read through the entire plan. I'm going to read the plan to all of you as well as to... Uh, our first ones here, and we're just going to ch- talk about it and chat about what could have been. So first off, where am I getting this from? Uh, back in 2005, JMS released the B- Babylon 5 script books, which include all 95 of the scripts that he wrote from the show. They came in 14 volumes. He sold them individually in those 14 volumes. And if you bought all 14 volumes, and I was in college at the time, so I did not because I was broke. If you bought all 14 volumes, he sent you a 15th volume that included the script for The Gathering, two of the other movies, and this final section, which was called, entitled, The Original Five-Year Arc. So that's what I'm going to be reading through the day. And uh, you can still find these script books on eBay, but they're not cheap. So... <laughs> If you want to go check it out for yourself, you can, but that's really the only place you can find it now. I did actually ask JMS on Twitter a while ago if he intended to release the plan again, and in normal JMS fashion, the answer was no. So here we are. So guys, before I read this to you, question to you, what do you think would have happened just in your mind if we had continued on the original plan that JMS was on, which you obviously don't know the full plan yet, 
But what do you think would have happened? Um, let's go to uh, Blake first. Well, one is I think if we made our friends watch 10-year arc, we would not have friends left. We're doing good <laughs> with a five-year arc. So let's let's say that. We dodged um, the bullet there. Yeah, you're right. Yes, we did. Um, but as far as what would have happened, um, you know, we would have seen the destruction of Babylon 5 as the station. We would have seen a transition more to Babylon 4, I think, um, as far as a base of operations and things would have taken a little bit different uh, bend with that. I'm not entirely certain how the Valen thing would have resolved itself or if that even would have been a thing. Um, I'm also not entirely certain we would have seen the Earth conflict the way we saw it play out uh, in the show that we have. I think it would have been more focused on the Shadow War and less on the uh, Earth political intrigue. Mike, what about you? Yeah, I'm really not sure what to say about this. Um, I kind of agree with Blake that about the only prediction or, or guesstimate that I could make is that the, the shadow war would have been prolonged in the series, which means that some of the other conflicts probably would have taken more of a backseat. Um, you know, we know that the shadow war really kind of wraps up by the end of season four. Right. And I think it would have gone on a lot further. We probably would have seen a deeper level to the political intrigue among the Minbari. But uh, that's about it. And Kevin. We talked a, a few times in that beyond the rim about a couple of different things like, you know, Sinclair was uh, going to be uh, matched with Delenn and um, the fact that they they wrapped up so many of the storylines by the end of season four because they weren't sure if they were going to have a season five. But beyond that, I don't really have a clear understanding for what this plan entails, other than the fact that it seems like a 10-year story arc is just so ambitious based on what we saw from science fiction television up until that point. So that's a pretty, pretty interesting, um, you know, attempt at uh selling the show is having that much content ready ready to to sell to a studio but other than that i i really i'm very interested to hear what the plan was because i i don't have a clear understanding for anything other than than that well, well I, I decided to a, put oh go ahead and play because that's an interesting touch touch on i mean you you say that's an ambitious plan kevin and i think that's almost a thing almost unique to sci-fi at this point because you look at some of the other long, long running television franchises that existed well before this that were in, you know, 15, 20 seasons mm -hmm. uh, that ran. But sci-fi, even with the Star Trek franchise, despite multiple series, the most any of the series there have had is seven seasons. Mm -hmm. yeah. So for some reason, sci-fi can't it just doesn't seem like sci-fi shows can hold that. Yeah, for that length. I think. I mean, Doctor Who being an exception, I'll I'll mention that one before right. a Who fan comes and you know takes my head off. You know, you Doctor, have Doctor Who, Who, you've got Twilight Zone that have done that, but by and large, sci-fi has not had that kind of staying power well, in a single series. Since then, we've we've seen Smallville, Stargate. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we've seen a few series go past past the seven years into ten or eleven, I think, but given given that information that you know they all owe a lot of their uh creative um story arcing to babylon 5 and to a lesser extent ds9 yep well i would argue i think blake to your point usually it's budgetary um 
you know, even Doctor Who, which was able to go on for a long time, that was a shoestring budget for most of its time. And still, mm-hmm. it's not exactly the biggest budget in town. Uh, also, I mean, just coming from JMS, he was, bef- while he was pitching the show, was uh, a lead writer on Murder, She Wrote, which I think he was on seasons eight and nine. So he was also in a show that had longevity. So I think that's what he was, you know, what he knew as well, too. So the reason why I asked you guys this first, oh, Mike, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, and to back up or, or to go along with what Kevin had just said, even Stargate as an example, because it's one that's near and dear to me, it did go on for many, many, many seasons. I think I've forgotten. Ten. So, ten? Was it ten? ten. But truly, uh, it's not the same show anymore after what, season seven, season eight? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, there is, in my mind, there's basically a conclusion, and then they resuscitated it with a partial new cast, a new big bad, kind of using the same mechanics, but the the serialization of the story had played out and restarted at that point. And I kind of think that with sci-fi, to me, that is maybe part of the problem, is it's difficult to maintain a, a coherent, serialized vision of the future for that long before people start to lose interest. Well, and the reason why I put you on the spot like that is because we do it to our newbies all the time. So I want to get your predictions before we dove in. So I'm going to start with the, there's a little bit of an intro JMS puts in here, kind of describing what we're going to read. And I want to put a caveat in there too. I'm going to read verbatim from JMS's scripts uh, from it was his script book from uh, 15. I'm doing that because there's no real way to purchase this aside from the secondary market. So I don't feel like I'm plagiarizing or stealing from him because he doesn't sell these anymore and he has no intention of selling this work again. So we're just going to go ahead and read it. The original five-year arc, and again, this is a first little spiel that JMS puts out before we get into the memo that he talks about. In the years since Babylon 5's first season, the most frequent question asked and debated by fans of the series has been, what would have happened if Sinclair had stayed on Babylon 5? How would the show have been different? My response over the years has been, the show would be essentially the same, which as Henry Kissinger once said about the White House position, has the added benefit of being true. The key word, of course, is essentially. God or the devil is in the details. Change one small thing, and it has profound repercussions. And there can be no question that Sinclair's removal had some substantial effects on the five-year storyline that came to me in the shower roughly 20 years ago as I write this, which was in 2005 when he wrote it. What would have been different? The question comes again. Now, that is finally revealed. But first, a word or three about where these documents come from. As I began work on Babylon 5's first season, I felt it was important for me to know where I was going, not just in terms of benchmarks, as embodied by my note cards with individual episodes broken into a varying degree of detail, but as a true narrative. You can't get a sense of narrative from a clutch of 110 three by five cards. I had to write it as a whole piece, as a unit, in broad strokes, to know if the story worked as a story. So I pulled those notes together and wrote the document that appears on the following pages. The next day, I met with Michael O'Hare for lunch at the restaurant on the Beverly Ground Hotel in North Hollywood, where all the relocated cast were being housed for work purposes. He was still trying to get a handle on the character of Jeffrey Sinclair, who this man was, where he'd come from, and where he was going. I hesitated a moment, then pulled out the pages I'd finished writing the day before and handed them Michael. He began reading. He didn't say a word. He just kept reading. And at the end, he cried. 
not big, not embarrassing, but his eyes leaked in a way that said he couldn't stop them from doing so. To my knowledge, Michael and Hare and I are the only people who have ever seen this document. If I showed it to WB or the other producers of B5, I didn't recall it, but it certainly never went any further. Now, at the last, the final magician's trick is revealed to the audience, completing the experiment begun with the first internet posting about Babylon 5, and which has continued into the series of books, an experiment in explaining how this story was told and how the series was made in the hope of creating a roadmap for those who will come after me. The last curtain is pulled aside at last. My job is now done. It's up to the rest of you to now pick it up the slack. You, the reader, I've told my story and the story about the story to its completion. It's your turn now. Tell my story. Tell me a story and make it a really good one. So that was his introduction. And now we have the Babylon 5 series timeline. And actually, when you look at this thing in the script book, it is typed, typewritten. So he used a typewriter to put this thing together, which I found really nice when I started looking at it. Go ahead, Blake. Yeah, I have to add there, Scott. Um, you know, he says that line in there, you know, tell me a story. I, I want to caution any listeners to this, though. Yes. If you go on JMS's social media, do not pitch him a story. Do not post story ideas. Don't post content. Um, there are legal ramifications to that, especially with him as a writer, if something were to cross his mind and accidentally get used. And, and he will shut those discussions down very, very quickly, if not outright ban you from his pages. Um, so just a note there, I would not go out and actually try telling him a story that will yeah. end badly. He actually tweeted yesterday as we record this saying, stop sending me Babylon 5 reboot stories. I will ban you. <laughs> I will also say too, thank you, Mike. This was written 10 years ago. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. This was written 18 years ago. So as you mentioned, Blake, uh, with the don't tell him storylines, the other thing that's changed over the years is he has gotten to a point where I, and he said this, I, he does not want to hear about what would have happened if Michael O'Hare had had lived. So uh, he is flat out said on his Twitter account, he doesn't want to answer these questions anymore. So I think it's fair game for us as fans to discuss it, especially since he put it on the ether years ago. But I would not recommend you tag us and say, hey, JMS, what do you think about this? I don't do that because he does not want to hear about it. He does not want to talk about it. As he put it, basically, he's talking about a friend of his who's passed away and he doesn't want to open up old wounds. So let's keep it in the fandom and leave JMS out of it. Okay, guys. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading the typewritten document and we'll just kind of stop and get your feedback as we go. So Babylon 5 series timeline. Following the events of the pilot episode, Sinclair begins to suspect that someone uh, erased 24 hours of his memory from the final moments of the Earth Mimbari War. The only way that this could happen is if he were removed from his ship. He now begins the process of trying to find out if this indeed took place, and if so, who was responsible. But he's not the only person following the trail. A secret group on Earth, a government agency, also suspects something happened, specifically that Sinclair is a traitor who somehow sold out Earth. Their agents will work hard to either break through the mental block, if only really if one really exists, or in some other way find out what happened on the line. So right now it's season one, mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. We got eyes in there and eyes. We got the uh, a dumb fuck one and dumb fuck two. Is that what Nicole called uh, her? Blonde fuck them? one and blonde fuck two. Blonde fuck one and blonde fuck two. Thank you. So so far it's a season one, and as you can see, this was written after the gathering. 
So the gathering's been put in place when he puts this all down on paper. Well, I get the impression. Yeah, I get the impression from you know the way that he's talking about that. uh, That that you know, whereas this was essentially a one-episode story in season one, in in the final cut, it sounds like maybe this was going to be more of a backdrop, like a longer-running thing. Yeah, I think so. And as you'll find as we get through this, I mean, it is a ten uh, ten uh, year plan that he has going here. And actually, to your point earlier, Mike, it's two shows. He's got Babylon 5 and Babylon Prime. So we continue, and this is where he spills the beans. So Michael Heron knew the answer before they started filming, if he read this. What happened on the line, which is this. Sinclair's ship was taken aboard a Mimbari cruiser. He was attempting to ram. He was taken prisoner along with other Earth Alliance pilots, which is different. This was the main battle cruiser on which were almost all of the ruling Grey Council. They had come to oversee the final stage of the war and the coming occupation and rule of Earth, or its destruction, should Earth choose not to surrender. One member of the Grey Council had a revelation that one of the captured pilots was more than he seemed, that an ancient prophecy concerning the very survival of the Mimbari race was coming into fruition. The Mimbari are a dying race. Their population is decreasing. Their cities are crumbling. Each generation, their children are born weaker, more fragile, all as was prophesied. But one outsider was foretold as being able to save the Mimbari, give it, to save the Mimbari, give it a new birth. At least that is one interpretation of the prophecy. Another reading of the same text leads others to believe that this is an outsider could cause the destruction of the Mimbari race. The great council members insist that the outsider in question is Sinclair. He must be released and allowed to go on his way to find his destiny. To do that, the Mimbari must surrender, allowing Earth's future history to go on unimpeded. Pretty much the same, except for in the original plan, they were going to take on more pilots, which they did not do. Well, it's interesting it mentions, you know, if Earth surrenders, if I recall correctly. And yeah, there was no plan for that. <laughs> there was no plan for that because, as I recall, in, uh, in the beginning, there was a comment, you know, Earth offered to surrender and got no reply. Right. So they were going to be wiped out no matter what. It yeah. was in this original, they were, uh, sounds like there was an occupation that was at least possible. Mm-hmm. So the Great Council members insist that the outsider go. But the great uh, the military leaders strongly disagreed and there was a falling out between them capped by a suicide of the leader of the military caste and the desertion of a small but dedicated group of followers one of whom was pro- one of whom was responsible for the attack on B5 and Sinclair in the pilot movie okay so i think we're kind of actually learning more <laughs> here then we actually get told in the babylon 5 proper because you do have that military um uh group that one ship that kind of goes off on its own but they're really not tied to this in the canon that we know it sounds like it's possible he's describing the <clears throat> the differences between the warrior cast and the religious cast potentially mm-hmm. but he doesn't come out and say that in this plan yeah, and he doesn't actually say that the, the military are on the Grey Council. He's just saying the military leaders right. disagree to a point where one commits suicide. Well, I think this showed up a little bit because I think this might have been the groundwork for what we saw in season one. I believe it was uh, the Wind Swords. Yep, 
Mm-hmm. And that's referring to the guy who told Sinclair he has a hold his mind in the gathering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he's referring to the Trigati as well. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. Is this sounds here again like we like the, the what we got was a super compressed version of this idea into a single episode story whereas it was probably going to be more of a longer running more impactful storyline mm-hmm. yeah it sounds like he's verbatim describing and the sky full of stars yeah pretty much so in order to avoid interfering with his destiny the gray council wiped sinclair's memory of all of this put him back in his ship and surrendered his progress since then has been monitored from after by the mimbari and their agents meanwhile the earth alliance almost obliterated in the course of the war begins the babylon project as a means of preventing future wars babylon 1 2 and 3 were sabotaged and destroyed during construction each time by a different group which is what jms also said in the usenet since it wasn't the same person every time babylon 4 vanished mysteriously when Babylon 5 was finally completed, the search was begun for someone to run the place. The Membari, as participants in the last war, were first to sign on to the station as co-sponsors. Their condition for participating, approval over who was hired to run it. They eliminated one name after another, starting with ambassadors and generals and working their way further and further down the ranks until finally getting to the name of a commander who had distinguished himself during the war, but who since had then largely dropped from sight, Commander Jeffrey Sinclair. This was the name they finally selected. The Membari want Sinclair where they can keep an eye on him. They also feel that this role will be conducive to his achieving his destiny. But there are still factors within the Membari government who don't entirely agree about Sinclair's possible role. If the Great Council are right, then yes, he could be the one who helps their race find renewal. But if they're wrong, he could be the one that causes their own personal Ragnarok. For the reason, for that reason, they selected Delenn as ambassador to Babylon Five. His mission is to help Sinclair if he goes in one direction, to kill him if he goes in another direction. Again, his mission is to do that. First major difference is that Delenn was supposed to be a male character, which we've talked about beyond the room a couple of times. And you know, to put on that one, there's there's an ongoing discussion that we keep getting caught in where they're, oh no, Delenn was supposed to be androgynous and the Mimbari were supposed to be androgynous. No, that was never the plan. It was clearly stated and JMS has said this, it's in this document. Delenn was supposed to be a male character. The Mimbari had, were a gendered species all along in the plan. Um, There was never this idea that it was supposed to be an androgynous species that somehow then through the, through the chrysalis process, all of a sudden became male or female, you know, so that wasn't the plan. This was um, the other piece on this, you know, that's kind of different from what we got is, is we'll hear later on in the series with Naroon is the warrior cast in what we got, didn't know the reason for the surrender at the battle of the line yeah. here. They do know, you know, in in the series we got, the group was so pissed off over the surrender that, you know, a small faction of the warrior cast broke off and said, peace out. That was, you know, the Trigati and some of the others, but as far as the warrior cast as a whole, they weren't told why there wasn't that piece of it. And here's where we get into like the cusp of what the difference would be with Sinclair and Delenn in this next paragraph. So the new birth of the Mimbari race and the dawn of third age of mankind turns out to be very literally the one single uh, thing. 
a melding of a human and Mimbari race through a child conceived by Delenn and Sinclair. This will be facilitated by Delenn undergoing a series of genetic manipulations designed to make her more human and able to mate with Sinclair. The Great Council believes that their offspring will unify the human and Mimbari races and lead both into a new golden age. This change takes place as the first season cliffhanger. Okay, so... I, I didn't realize that part of it was that originally that she was supposed to not only um, transition of gender, but also transition much like what we saw in the show mm-hmm. to a, a more, a more human type appearance and genetic makeup. Yep. So she can mate with Sinclair on now Sharon in, in the canon, but yes, this is a troubling development for many of the Mimbari. As a race, they put a premium on their own version of ethnic purity. This will be seen by many of them as the ultimate act of betrayal. But other forces are at work at the same time. One such force leads the assassination of the Earth Alliance president, who is replaced by someone less sympathetic to B5's cause. And then we dive into Londo after that. So that's about the same. Yeah. I don't know that Clark always in in the show made it overtly known that he was less interested in babylon 5 than what jms is saying in that document but um you can infer that certainly so let's dive into londo londo misses the grand days of the empire that characterized the centauri republic he'd give anything to restore that he also sees the narns as the real threat he knows what his own people did to them at one time, and it's not hard to guess what they'd like to do to the Centauri in return, or any other group that's got in their way. And Jakar's goal is to keep everyone at each other's throats. His worst case scenario is to see others getting together to form a power that could endanger his world again. Again, he's talking about Jakar there. Londo finds his opportunity in this gradual introduction of a new race, which we will attentively called the Shadow Men. Name will change later. They will slowly make themselves known in the series through, though we won't be actually see them for a long time. They save Londo's neck at one point, bailing him out of a crisis and making him look good at home. They gradually draw him to their side, offering in exchange for his cooperation, the prospect of restored glory for beloved empire and a grand position for himself within the empire. At the end of the second season, beginning of the third, we discover the secret of the Vorlons when Sinclair's life is endangered during a hot fight in the central core shuttle. He's kicked out of the shuttle and begins falling slowly at first, but he gains speed as they move away from the center toward real gravity. There's no time for anyone to get a pack, uh, get a pack on and rescue him. Dylan, the only other person up until now to know what a Vorlon is, as hinted at by the nod by the nod to Kosh in the receptive, in the reception party in the pilot, suggests that if Kosh is going to do something, he should do it now. Side, the arrival of the Vorlon at Babylon 5 was third proof that the Grey Council that they were right. They once had dealings with the Vorlon, but fell from grace as it were, and the, the restoration of that connection is something greatly uh, to be desired. Greatly to be desired. So the only very subtle difference was that he jumped out because of a bomb, not necessarily because of a fight, but otherwise I don't see much in differences. Did they say anything in the show about um, the the Membari falling out of favor with the Vorlons? I don't remember nope. the d- detail either. Okay. Nope, that's new. 
Okay. No, well, that well, kind of makes me wonder if the Vorlons were going to be present on the Great Council ship during the Earth Bimbari War. Or on Babylon 5 at all. Early well, on. at this point, the gathering's already happened, so Kosh is on yeah. Babylon 5. That's referring to the nod that Dylan makes to him. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, uh, to your point, Mike, about uh, the Vorlons being on there, that came much later in terms of JMS's script writing, too, because uh, In the Beginning came out after Season 4, so there's a lot of retconning in In the Beginning, too. Well, and rolling backward a bit to, to the previous bit about Londo, I feel like there's a piece of Londo's story or you know background motivation that was left out of the final show and that is i don't i don't ever get a sense that londo is hates or is fearful of the narn i think he is fully aware of who they are and how they feel but there's never any indication that he is you know in, in any kind of serious fear that they're going to be the ones to rise up and strike the centauri down well, and to that very same point, the idea that Jakar doesn't want anyone to band together in order to not have a power that can rival the Narns, that I don't think that's ever really Jakar's plan. I think Jakar's plan in the canon is just to make sure the Narns don't get enslaved again by the Centauri. Agreed. And, and that also kind of implies that the Narn were maybe supposed to be more powerful than what we see. Mm-hmm. So we're still at the... Uh, reveal of kosh so at the moment at that moment everyone else in the garden sees something remarkable and what each sees is different to our eyes and those of sinclair what rises from the garden to catch him looks like an angel not a stereotypical angel though it must convey a a genuine sense of alienness eyes that are twice as large as they should be higher up on the forehead than should be the case bronze skin wings that have a slightly mechanical look to them but everyone else in the garden doesn't see what we are we are sinclair see they see a different figure having saving sinclair in each case though it is a religious figure from their own world their own culture we will see each of these variations from the individual's point of view we we don't see a centauri which is a point right The place is abuzz thereafter. B5 becomes a mecca for pilgrims. Only a few know that it is Kosh who made the appearance. All anyone else knows is that the station had a visitation by their own particular sub-deity. Only one person does not share this moment of sublime revelation, Londo. He sits at the bar, very much alone, drink in hand. He shakes his head. I saw nothing. I saw nothing. He seems almost uh, brokenhearted not to have seen what the others saw felt what they had felt so that stands that's that that is plainly what happens yes uh that for one reason or another londo does not get to see what kosh looks like to him or anybody for that matter though sinclair delenn and a few others finally know what kosh is that revelation isn't quite as simple as first seems the vorlons are not supernatural entities they are living breathing creatures with a pro with a propensity for mucking about in other species worlds. They have an attitude of we know best and have been the, to various extents, the puppet masters pulling strings here and there for millennia, visiting worlds, creating what they consider to be the right context for civilizations to grow proper. We're now moving into the third and fourth season. It's during this time, the third, fourth season bridges that 
Delenn and Sinclair begin to come together. He is nearly destroyed when his lover, lover, Catherine, who we will introduce in season one, is mind-raped and all memory of their relationship is wiped out. The only way he can restore their, her memory is to do the same thing to her all over again, and he can't bring himself to do that. It's a very vulnerable time for him, and it's now when Delenn makes her move. They begin to come together. By the end of the season four, they are lovers, and Delenn is pregnant with their child. So Catherine sticks around much longer. And I wonder if the mind thing refers to uh, control at all. Now, we know Takashima was supposed to be control, but I wonder if that has anything to do with that as well, too. Or is this completely a, a side, an episode of the week where Catherine loses her memory? Well, I kind of wonder if it's an aside or either, you know, if you go back to the, you know, Blonde Fuck 1, Blonde Fuck 2 story, mm-hmm. maybe something along the lines of, Sinclair wasn't the only one they tried mind probing to figure out what he had done. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if it could be something like that too, where someone went, you know, looking about to try to figure out if she knew anything about Sinclair and that's what led to it. Makes sense. Good point. Let's talk about Mr. Garibaldi, shall we? Also during the season three, four bridge, Garibaldi will begin to slip back into his drinking problem. It will cause him to throw down his badge and resign as chief of Babylon five security for most of season four, coming back only at the very end of that season when he is not, when he is most needed in the intervening period, he will be a mercenary for hire operating out of the B five bazaar. Okay. Well, that's sort of, I mean, cause he resigned and then went, became the mm-hmm. private investigator. Yep. A quick aside. In a season one story, the Babylon 5 sensors will pick up a disturbance from distances away from the station, deep in space. Distress calls, scrambled by static, quickly follow. And when they investigate and find that B4, Babylon 4, has reappeared as suddenly and mysteriously as it vanished, it seems to have jumped forward in time. It's phasing in and out of existence, caught between here and its eventual destination, wherever or whenever that is. Sinclair and the rest hurry aboard to try and evacuate the people who were still on board when it originally vanished. I love that when he's typing this, he's like, oh, crap, I forgot something from season one. This is typed, so I'm just going to put it in now. Yeah. Ah, the 90s were fun. No copy paste. <laughs> no word perfect. Nope. <laughs> he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Here you go. Again, continuing on the aside. During this time, they keep seeing an apparition, a man in a life suit, trying to signal them. Who it is, we can't tell, because his face and head are covered with a, uh, with a breather unit, and because he keeps phasing in and out of view. They can't quite communicate with him. They barely manage to evacuate everyone before B- Babylon 4 finally phases out of existence completely, contain- continuing on its journey to the future. At that moment, we, the viewer, see a shot inside the station as the mysterious figure removes his breather unit and we see that it is sinclair older his hair white in places a scar running the length of his face he is in despair i tried to tell them to warn them he says but it happened just the way i remember it just the way i remember it when a woman's hand falls on his shoulder and we hear her say it's time we have to go and with that babylon 4 vanishes again continuing on its way that's almost verbatim right. what happens. Now we're going to get away from our side and continue on season three and four. The shadow men are revealed physically in season four to be dark, demonic looking things. But once again, appearances may be deceiving. 
They have fought for millennia against the influence of the Vorlons, fought to keep worlds free of their meddling. At least that's their line. And we'll gradually discover that it's true, but only as far as it goes. They have their own agenda, one that includes ruling everything in sight. The line about those who would save us from communism also being quick to save us from democracy and for fascism. All of this comes to a head in season five with the return of Jakar, who reveals Londo's complicity and the Shadow Men's intervention. So to your point, Mike, it's definitely drawn out more because we're seeing stuff that's in season two and three all the way to uh, the start of season five, if this plan had gone through. And there's still nothing about Earth in terms of any issues with Earth, aside from the fact that there's a president who doesn't like B5. At the same time, the Mimbari military cast, growing ever more worried about the way this is going, stage a coup and take control from the Grey Council. They order the exile of all council members, the death of Sinclair and Delenn, and a resumption of hostilities against Earth. This is different. (laughs) I mean, we do have the Grey Council dissolved, but no renewed well, earth Bimbari war and the and the warrior cast does sort of take over the great council they don't dissolve it but when they replace delin on the council i mean you do see the warrior cast get an advantage before delin ultimately breaks the council right and no at no time is anyone put out a hit on the entire great council and this is actually really truly where it diverges diverges season five which makes perfect sense because even if you're following the normal route with Sheridan rather than Sinclair, most of this kind of lines up, except by season five and what we know, we already had been almost canceled for season four. So everything that was supposed to be in season five gets junted into season four and season five, we get Byron, which is great. (laughs) So from this point on, it's a completely different story to that point. Londo assumes control of Babylon five sector of space in the name of the Centauri Republic. Earth contests the claim, and we break off relations with the Centauri. Shortly thereafter, a Vorlon ship, massive, hundreds of miles long, containing a large segment of their population, is destroyed by the Shadow Men with Londo's help, though without his knowledge that it would result in the death of hundreds of thousands of innocents. Earth is blamed. Season 5 ends with an assault on and the destruction of Babylon 5 by the Mimbari. Sinclair and Delenn manage to escape with their newborn child as the station explodes behind them. They are now wanted by everyone in the galaxy, it would seem. By Earth, which has been given information leading to them to believe that that he is a traitor. By the ruling Mimbari warrior caste, who want to eliminate what they believe is a threat to their race, to some extent by Londo and the Centauri because Sinclair knows, or at least suspects, he was truly responsible for the hundreds of thousands of Vorlon deaths, and by the Vorlons for presuming, uh, presumably being one of those involved in the conspiracy. This ends the story of Babylon 5. Well, that didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. different. Yeah, and you know, so here's the question to you. There's more. I've got two more pages to read of what happens in the next show. But what's better to you guys right now? What is better? What we got? Uh, let's just, let's exclude season five. Let's assume season four would have been season four and season five. What's better? What's on the paper here with much more, I guess, 
machinations between different cultures and the war being more outside rather than inside or what we got with the earth civil war, which does not happen in this original plan. Well, I like the earth civil war storyline and the break in season three so much that it's hard for me to, to say that what's on the paper is better because I, that that's my favorite story arc of the series. And I would tend to agree with Kevin actually on that, that I think what we got was better. In, in so much as, you know, not that, you know, I think the Earth storyline was better or played out more. I think what we got was a tighter story. Yeah. I think we got a story that was tighter in execution. I think we got one that was more coherent. I think if you would have been stretched out with what this has, viewers might have lost interest. There's more intrigue, I think, in what we have. Now, granted, this is only a few page summary and there would have been more details fleshed sure. out, I'm sure. But, you know, what we got was we really saw the power plays of the shadows, the manipulations that the shadows played to get their ultimate end goal. We saw them manipulating the Centauri. We saw them manipulating the Earth government, which led to the Earth Civil War and all of these different threads that all tied back to this millennia old conflict between the Vorlons and the shadows, you know, basically two ancient demigod like races and we were all just you know ants under a boot at that point Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i definitely think that the shadow war could have and maybe should have gone on longer than it did for being the kind of under underlying theme of the series um and i understand why it was compressed the way it was and why season five turned out the way that it did with the fear of cancellation and all but um but objectively between your exact question what was better what we got or what was on this paper i think what we got was better than what was on this paper because i do agree with what kevin and and blake said i think stretching the shadow or out that long um would have just been tiresome people would have lost interest it it too many machinations would have just muddied things too much and Mm -hmm. personally i don't actually even like the idea of claire and delenn becoming the galaxy's most wanted Mm -hmm. that that seems like a pretty played out story so well and you're right about the dragging things out because according to this there are no shots fired between earth or babylon 5 and the shadows the entire series because even at the end when the Vorlon colony ship gets taken out by the shadows, everyone assumes it was Earth that did it. So it's a really slow burn. <laughs> well, and at that, I mean, if, if you consider that shot's fired, then it's the first shot. It's the Lusitania of, you know, of, yeah. of the war. So yeah. I also think there's a bit of a stretch there. I mean, that if Earth was on the edge of being taken out by the Mimbari to all of a sudden taking out a Vorlon ship when they're declared to be this powerful, I just don't see that as realistic True, um, happening within the series either. But the other part with what we got in the actual series is, yeah, I agree. The shadow war probably could have gone a little longer, but I also liked the series dealing with the fallout from it. We saw the pieces with the Drock and the keepers and the Centauri and how that played through the rest of Babylon five into call to arms and all of that where we really saw it wasn't just the war with the shadows. Once they were gone, there were still ramifications 
and pieces to deal with. So I, I did like that dynamic too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did too. I mean, you know, like I said, in my ideal world, I think we would have gotten a, a six season show or something, right. Where we still had that season to follow up, but we would have gotten a little bit more of the main oh, conflict. God. Oh God, no, please not season six. <laughs> that would have been one more season of Byron. The return of Byron. Yeah. But I agree with you guys to the most part. Although the one thing that would be interesting to me is when Londo takes over the Centauri and really gets to be the quote unquote villain of the piece for a bit. It would have been interesting to see him try to annex Babylon five space. That would have been fun. But uh, aside from that, I think everything else kind of shakes out the way it should have shaken out, but that's not the end of the story. That's the end of Babylon five. He continues. Should the series prove successful, it would be followed by a spinoff series, Babylon prime. And here's the brief for Babylon Prime. Sinclair, Delenn, their infant, Garibaldi, and Anarn, a friend or relative of Jakar who has come to help them. After all, the Narn have no one else left to turn to. And Sinclair, and Sinclair tried to do what he could in the past for them. Make their way to a meeting with the Grey Council, now in exile. Sinclair et al. Have no, have no place to go, no home, no resources, nothing. The Great Council is infuriatingly unconcerned. All of this is in the prophecy. If you know where to look and how to interpret it, Sinclair's line is that it would have been a lot easier if they had known this beforehand. But like all scriptures, they can only be correctly interpreted after it's all taken place. What is required now is a base of operations, a beacon of hope. War is raging on all sides. This must be a place where those who want to create peace can come together. You know, I think we did see that a little bit come into the main series with the Membari attitude of prophecy tends to itself mm-hmm. with Great Council. So I think that little nugget did make it into the production series. Did he say why Sinclair was ostracized from Earth? Is it because of the Vorlon ship getting destroyed? Yeah, Earth believes that Sinclair had something to do with the Vorlon oh, okay. getting okay. taken out, which now Earth's getting blamed for. So they feel that Sinclair is a problem, too. So, this base of operations. They are able to pull Babylon 4 forward in time. And this is, of course, we've talked about this already in our Beyond the Rims. This is the big difference. Babylon 4 didn't go in the past. There is no Valen. It always is moving forward in time. They're able to pull Babylon 4 forward in time. And this will be their base of operations because B4 was different than B5 in one respect. It had the capacity to move. It is also a starship. Sinclair and Delenn supervise the attempt. They manage to get onto Babylon 4 and sound an alert, hoping to get everyone off the station. Before everyone can evacuate, however, the time field, which is terribly unstable, rips them forward. They manage to stop the process briefly long enough for the rest to get off the station. We now see the original Babylon 4 appearance from the other side as our present Sinclair tries to warn his past version of what is to come again without success. So War Without End, kinda, Mm -hmm. but also in season six, not season three. Now it's End Without War. (laughs) End Without War. (laughs) (laughs) There are other time distortions taking place. This is not something men are meant to do. Sinclair is aging quickly, as is Delenn. They manage to counter most of the effects, though it is, uh, has also shaved years off their lives, and finally return to their own time with Babylon 4 intact, now named Babylon Prime. 
So I kind of see this as what happens to Sheridan when he gets back from Zaho Doom. Mm-hmm. He's got years shaved off his life and he's got to deal with that. I bet you kind of the same storylines that come from that and Sheridan only having 20 years to live, Sinclair would have had to deal with the same stuff in the second series is my guess. I think that's an excellent guess. I mean, yeah, it lends itself to that directly. Well, it seems like we've seen bits and pieces of the original plan appear in some way, shape or form, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, we're not done yet. <laughs> I still got a page. Uh, the other thing too is we we it's been discussed in other canon that Babylon 4 had the ability to be have movement but can you imagine that clunky Babylon 4 being like the enterprise of the show moving from place to place I think that would be a little odd looking is yeah. my guess yeah no offense but the enterprise D the hotel in space did lumber around a bit <laughs> oh. I was Just always a sovereign class fan myself. How dare you? Sir. I was always a sovereign class fan. We're coming around the bend here, guys. They take Babylon Prime on a journey to clear Sinclair's name and provide a place for those trying to make peace in a warring galaxy. Constantly on the run from hunters and military assault teams, Babylon Prime is in their is their refuge, their sanctuary, and when required, their warship. This kind of sounds like Crusade. At one point, early in their travels, they run across Londo, who is a puppet leader of the Centauri Republic, linked to a creature that reports his every action to the Shadow Men. Under its supervision, he must turn them in, but rebels at terrible personal costs to help them escape. He deeply regrets all that has happened and hopes in some way to make it up, for, uh, make it up to them. Along the way, they discover one other side effect of their attempt to bring Babylon 4 into the present. The son of Delin and Sinclair is aging quickly. They are gradually able to stop the aging process by by then the son is nearly a grown man. They are able to cyberlink into him all of the information a man would need, but their emotional development is not there. He is as innocent as a child would be. Said so, so. Is it cool to make an Elon Musk joke right now? Or <laughs> oh, I'm I'm good with that. This is I'm sorry. I'm just gonna throw this out there. JMS is still trying to figure out how to be a lead writer, and I I eye roll when I read about how we're going to cyberlink with a child to make him an adult because <laughs> we want to have an adult character. I was just gonna say he's nearly a grown man now, and he's dumb as shit. <laughs> so it sounds like so they birthed Wesley Crusher, did they? Oh, oh, you're gonna have people like sending you comments, uh, sir. You'd be doing me a big favor by editing that. Thanks. I thought it was funnier than it was. No, I'm gonna peek it in there because I want the hate comments to come to you for once. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, we got a little bit longer to go. Hold on. Soon, the sun becomes a revered symbol, a religious symbol to others. Focus of the prophecy. The boy man whose birth signals a time. <laughs> I know the boy man. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm just reading as I go, folks. <laughs> the boy man. <laughs> the boy man whose birth signals a time when various species would come together, making a new golden age. Consequently, the sun is prey to frequent assassination attempts. We actually saw this in the Lost Tales, did we not? Was there a. No, never mind. It was, that was the. Cartesia's. Nephew. Yeah, it was the son of the emperor who was up for assassination. I was just mixing those two together. Consequently, the son is prey to frequent assassination attempts. Along that line, the son continues to grow and learn and become something greater than human. Hmm. Is this Dune? <laughs> Quite possibly. <laughs> the story of Babylon Prime ends 
with the formation of a new alliance and a final great war in which Babylon 4 is, 4 is a prime player. The Shadow Men are finally conquered. The Mimbari are defeated by Earth, which clears Sinclair's name. The Lynn takes her leave to rejoin the Great Council, departing from Sinclair's side, possibly forever. Their son takes his place as head of the new alliance, promising peace for the first time. He is able to command political and religious leaders in a consortium of power. Sinclair, at this stage of his life, finally retires from the chase, from the long battle. His last scene, the last in the story of Babylon Prime, is as he is left alone, as requested, on a green and quiet world otherwise uninhabited, sitting beside the shore, fishing. Fade out. So he becomes Jack O'Neill at the end of the <laughs> first phase of SG-1. That's funny. I was thinking, aside from there the fishing, he becomes Thanos. There the are no fish in my pond. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't like any of that. <laughs> I know. That one prime is not... No, I, I agree. I think... Uh, so what, yeah. the conclusion of the Shadow War is also a footnote in the Babylon Prime five-season five story? It seems oh. like it would be episode, or season nine, wouldn't it? Because season wow. 10 would be David taking over the Alliance, not Sinclair or Sheridan, but David taking over the, 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 the boy man. The boy man. Being the president. It seems to have a certain bit of Dune Messiah and Children of Dune-esque. Yeah, for real. I mean, Twist to the end of this for those that are Frank Herbert fans. Yeah, yeah. Except he doesn't turn into a giant worm. <laughs> I don't know. It, it did not yeah. necessarily <laughs> specify what he turned into. That's the other five-year arc that comes after Babylon Prime. <laughs> oh, Babylon Worm. Here we go. He, he finds mom's chrysalis, hops back in, and next thing you know. So I wonder what Michael Hare teared up at. I'm thinking it's the end. Probably. Where he gets yeah, like, that boy man part, clearly. Boy man. <laughs> but no i the, the interesting thing about this is one it answers the question that we get a lot what was jms's original plan now you know this is jms's original plan as typewritten back in 1993 or 1994 between the gathering being aired and them starting to film season one this is it we also get to see how a writer can definitely improve as they continue to edit themselves over the course of five years because Babylon Prime doesn't sound like fun. Well, we should probably talk about some of the differences between, you know, Sinclair's personality and Sheridan's and how mm-hmm. how that was different as it played out. Uh, because it's it's a good thing that JMS decided to not have essentially the same character when he was forced to replace uh, uh, Michael O'Hare. Uh, God rest his soul, because Sheridan is definitely more military. He's definitely um, a little bit less uh, conciliatory and diplomatic, at least at the beginning of his story arc. Um, and he had different relationships with several of the the key cast or key members of the Babylon Five. Uh, crew so um it is interesting to me how that would how that would have played out with sinclair being um being present for the entire series on babylon 5 and then babylon prime 
but he was he would have been ostracized just like Sinclair or excuse me just like Sheridan was but for different reasons mm-hmm. yeah so a lot of it kind of intertwines I mean you definitely see the main cusp of the story obviously Valen is not there so when we go back and forth of would Sinclair have been Valen even if O'Hare had stuck around that was not the plan at least going into filming of midnight on the firing line that's not the plan now again we've had our own conversations about when did that shift when did they decide to move into a different direction probably midway through the season production probably but valen is not something that is a part of it which is why when you watch the special edition of the gathering we get kosh saying into intel's all valen valen was not even a thing when the gathering was filmed originally. And also, of course, we know the big difference between Babylon four going back in time along that same lines as going forward in time. But you can definitely see when you watch Babylon squared, this fits everything that happens in Babylon squared could easily fit into both canons. Mm -hmm. It's what happens on the flip side that we don't see until later. Other than all of that, all of the lead up to the earth civil war was already taking place when when uh war without end was uh was filmed yeah because that the planet already changed at that point um right and some of the seeds were being laid in season one i think for issues with earth um i think the pivot happened happened a lot quicker than what has been led on yeah yeah i, I think there's definitely episodes in early season one up to and including babylon squared where this may have been the plan but i think there was enough changing and enough issues where whether it be editing himself for the for this plan more or knowing things were heading south with o'hare i think there was a much earlier discussion around a backup plan to this or changes to this plan than what has been acknowledged previously because too many other episodes fit so much better with the canon we have and they explain so well into the canon we have without you know there wasn't a lot of retconning or rebooting come season two things fit pretty nicely so i think there's definitely pieces but yeah i i say they knew a lot earlier well, I, kind of, I definitely agree. The thing that kind of blows me away is the fact that we've gone from from uh, ten a ten season plan to a really short season plan, and and that is completely separate and apart from the recasting of Michael O'Hare. Well, not recasting, but the replacement of of Michael O'Hare with Sheridan. Um. So that I don't know. That's it's really interesting how much of the story seems to have been already compressed from the original plan down into single episode. You know, uh, at this at this point, at early in season two. Yeah, because I get he wrote this after the gathering, and there was a year between the gathering and production start on season one. I mean, it makes me think I'm somebody betting came over and shook that him. year. You know, they got into season one, but I'm betting over that year, JMS knew there were issues. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what throws me off too. And when I try to figure out, because no one's ever going to know, because JMS isn't going to tell us, and Michael O'Hare's not around to tell us. But what throws me off is Babylon Squared, again, as I just said, though, could fit into both plans, was 18th in production of 22 episodes. 
So by the time they went into production on Babylon Squared, they had to have known something, which really confuses me in terms of when it could have happened yeah. um, and when the decision was made to pivot. And it probably wasn't like a overnight, like we're going to pivot, but you know, over the course of several weeks of him writing episodes, he came to the conclusion that he's going to go somewhere else. And I, I, I just don't know when that happened. Like I, I can see where you're coming from, where it probably happened earlier than we think. But it's 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 the one piece of the puzzle that we don't have, and I haven't been able to find it. And I'm not going to ask JMS because I'm not going to get blocked on Twitter. But that's the 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 one piece of the puzzle we don't have is when did this plan find its way into a script book rather than on film? Well, if I know anything about this kind of thing at all it's that it probably happened slowly until it happened very fast Mm, yep yep so they probably talked about it a few times kicked it around as a possibility and then there may have been something that kicked it into high gear um who knows what that might have been well I, i think that point the that inciting piece was probably what we read about in his autobiography jms's where o'hare and him have the conversation that basically jms offers to shut down production so o'hare can seek help and o'hare says no i don't want to risk the entire show for me that was when whether wherever jms is in the thought process that's when the switch gets flipped the question is when does that happen and we'll never know but it's just interesting, especially if you enjoy seeing behind the scenes of how a show is made. This is we don't get this often where we get to see the treatise of what a show was supposed to be, and then we can actually see the full fruition of what the show is. The other question I have for you guys before we wrap this up, because at this point of recording, the Babylon Five reboot may or may not be a thing. Is any of this do you think could be salvageable? to be put into the reboot to have a different story than what the original Babylon 5 is. Because JMS has said he's not going to just rewrite Babylon 5. You can go watch that. So whatever he does for the reboot, it's going to be different. For one, it starts with Sheridan. We know that from the synopsis that was released. But is there anything from here that you guys think could fit into a reboot or you think may fit into a reboot if it ever happens? I mean, I think political intrigue is a pretty... I don't know what the what the right terminology is. It's pretty hot in television these days, and I think audiences are a lot more savvy. So I definitely could see a lot more of that sort of, you know, the the machinations or, or the the conflicts between the different races, you know, individually, the Satori, Earth, uh, you know, the Mimbari. Um, I certainly hope we don't see the Man Boy David and the Great Chase. <laughs> and then the universe is most wanted because that just doesn't sound like good television to me. I've already said what I think I would like to see is more if there is a Londo character, which I'm sure there will be. I would like to see Londo be more of not so much a villain, but an antagonist that actually really gets involved in causing problems. He causes some problems, especially season two, season three. But the idea of him saying this great Centauri Republic is going to annex the Epsilon system for our cause, I think that'd be a fun set of episodes. That's something I think could be something completely different that we don't see that could happen in the new show. 
Yeah, I think oh. there, that's part of what I was, I guess, getting at is I think there could be a lot more territory fighting between the different races because that's something we we don't really see except between Centauri and Narn. You know, they had, you know, essentially the Minvari riding in at the right time to bail them out of uh, almost losing the station from Earth and then riding in also at the same time with the White Stars to, you know, have uh, a fleet for the shadow war so it would be interesting to see if there's less involvement from the mimbari um where that comes from um whether that comes from earth whether that comes from uh more narn involvement well and speaking of the narns that's the other thing too jakar is only mentioned in this thing twice well, actually three times and Warlocks one time really he's are. trying to hold people back one time he is warning people and the next time he sends a relative to help them yeah sorry. so i think jakar's story gets fleshed out much more in the can that we have and i think that's one thing i would hope that we get in this reboot if it does happen is those character arcs that are worthwhile and jakar is the one and mike i know jakar is your favorite He's the one that has the best arc from being the quote unquote mustache twirling villain in the gathering to being a religious icon who goes out to explore the rim with Lita Alexander at the end. Well, and I think in between you have a, a phase where you slowly kind of reveal that he's more than this hate monger. He's actually a really savvy uh, individual with, with his own kind of honor code before becoming a religious <laughs> figure i wonder how much of that had to do with the casting the wonderful casting mm-hmm. of andreas Katsoulis in that part if jms said you know we've got a heavy hitter in this part uh, as an actor i can do a lot more with this character maybe i better do that absolutely when we absolutely know JMS let the actors kind of make decisions on the fly as well too the joke with Andreas Consulis is he starts calling Jakar Jakar and tells JMS, I'm just going to play Jakar as French. And for the rest of the entire show, Jakar is played that way. That way. The other joke is with Peter Jurisic comes out with this weird ass hairdo one day and they say, okay, well, that's what a Centauri looks like now. So absolutely. I think what the actors bring to the table, JMS as a good showrunner, let's kind of add to the sauce as he's making this thing. Yeah, I think he's very quick to adapt to circumstances. I mean, uh, we we saw the the first thing the the big one is with Sheridan and and uh Sinclair obviously, but I think you're absolutely right. I think when he started to see what these other actors that he had brought to the table, he was quick to adapt the story to include them more and to really take advantage of what he had. You know what's also striking um that's missing from that uh, which, you know, we should probably note is that, you know, Ivanova is missing and we know why, because she was not part of the original plan, but, you know, Lieutenant Commander Takashima was also largely uh, left out of that memo. So I don't know what part, and I'd be interested to find out, although we probably never will, what, what the original plan was for her, her part of the story. Well, did I gloss over? But I don't remember hearing any real mention of Psychor either. Nope, not one no. telepath. Just, this conversation. They're just 
bad guys at home interesting which could have been home guard for all we know and that's it yeah i mean jms has come out and said that control was going to be takashima and takashima was the one who shot garibaldi but again that probably came after this original plan that was probably part of the phase two phase three whatever uh that came afterwards although now that i say that uh, well yeah it could still very well be because even when takashima leaves ivanova kind of takes on that role so we can assume that at least initially at least for the first few episodes of production i would assume jms thought that ivanova was control and ivanova would shoot garibaldi based on just the trap door mechanisms of all that but yeah, it's it's very much interesting that really the only main cast we hear in this synopsis is Sinclair, Delenn, Londo, Jakar, and Garibaldi. Garibaldi. Yep. And Kosh. All right. That's it. Yeah, and I was going to say, I, there's really no specific mention of the Vorlons having any involvement in the Babylon Prime side of this. There's yeah, mentioned I'm... that there's a grand coalition that comes together. They don't say anything about it being White Stars, being Vorlon mm-hmm. helmed. Well, it's definitely not going to be White Stars if the Mimbari don't care to help. And then I read it as the Vorlons are wiped off the map at the end of season I mean, five. Sure seems like plan. they're basically crippled yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, the way I read it is they don't have a home world and they get wiped out. Well, guys, I think that's a lot of good conversation and I hope that for those like myself who have been looking for years for answers on this, I hope you got some in this. And I really do appreciate that we're able to look under the hood and it takes a special kind of person to be able to be willing to give out so much information about a show that they created. So he gave us the ability to look under the hood and see what he had planned. And I do appreciate that. And as he says in his little opening narrative, I think it can help people who are on the journey of writing their own stories about seeing how you can adapt, how you can edit, and how you can improve upon yourselves as you go along too. And I think, as you all have said, we definitely got the better version of Babylon 5 on screen than we did in the original plan. Let me ask a question because I brought this up during our chrysalis discussion and I I don't remember what answer Scott gave, but watching chrysalis does it, it read to you like they had already made the change because it does not to me. Okay. I could like shaking, uh, shaking his head or nodding his head. Yes. But it doesn't to me, but I, I don't I, have all the information that I do now, so perhaps I should look at it again. But I just assume with all the stuff about Sakai in particular and the engagement that um, that that seemed like it was more of a continuing storyline than it was just a here's a storyline that you're never going to see mm-hmm. again. And And I would agree with that, Kevin, that I think there were some unresolved issues out of it. I think what that could be attributed to, and I think Babylon Squared is a good example of this. I think Chrysalis is a good example of this, that the scripts as written, even if they were written for this original plan, with very minor changes, could still be used with whatever the revision that we got was. You know, there was, yeah, the issue with Catherine Sakai, or Catherine Sakai, 
was never resolved, but taking it out didn't really impact the episode either. So there was no real need to rewrite that script or to change it. It just, everything changed after the president's assassination. And that's just one storyline that went by the wayside with it. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of take out the trash day type uh, story component. So I think that still works. I think that's why it doesn't necessarily flag for me that it very well was written to go with this original plan, but still fit nicely enough with the revision. Yeah, I think it actually was written for the original plan uh, because unlike Babylon Squared is production number 18, because of the special effects that had to go into it, Chrysalis was production number 12. So I think when they filmed 12, they were still full steam ahead with at least Sinclair and Delin moving forward with the the plan that they originally had had. But again, we're never going to know because the only two people truly in the room who knew one is gone and one's not going to tell us on that note, let's go ahead and wrap up. I appreciate it guys. Uh, a special thank you to our fan Janice who sent me the script book for number 15 because I can't afford it on eBay. So thank you so much for letting us have uh, that book so we can take a look at it and discuss it. And if you enjoy this conversation and you're finding us for the first time, we are going through every single episode of the true Babylon five. So you can find us at the show note links below, which is anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast or on YouTube at gray 17 podcast. And we hope you'll join us as we take this journey all the way through season five whether we like it or not uh, as we talk with newbies and with us first ones who have watched the entire show so thanks for joining us i hope this has been insightful it's been fun for me and uh until next time i have been scott and with me has been blake and by the way if you're listening to the audio of this on youtube make sure to give us a subscribe so you can be notified anytime we launch an episode whether it be one of our regular podcast episodes or these bonus episodes that we release every so often Yes, the plugs, the plugs. Also, Kevin. And Mike. Thanks, guys. Give us money on Patreon. (laughs) Give me money. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast or youtube.com at gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth.